all over the auditorium. I want you to take your Bible with me. Turn with me to John chapter 10 tonight. John chapter 10. I brought the truth that sets people free tonight. We're going to have a wonderful time tonight. John chapter 10 is where we're going to start. We're going to talk about your future tonight. A lot of people are concerned about their future. Let's just talk about the future tonight. Here's what I want to, I want to impress you with from God's spirit tonight. Your future is in your hands. Your future is in your control. Now, some would repel against that and say, I thought the Lord controlled the future. Listen to me. He's already decided what he wants to do for you. He's already paid the price. It's up to you now. And I want to just take the scriptures from now. I want to build a little theology, which means just simply build a truth. And I want to show you from scripture. Some people want to debate this, but listen, whenever, whenever there's a debate on something, just simply open God's word and find the truth. And I want to make a point. I want to point out tonight that God's will and God's plan for your life is for you to have an abundant life and for you to be successful. I know that a lot of people say that we, if we can just hang on in this life, we'll have a great life in the next life. The will of God is for you to have a prosperous life in this life and for you to be successful in this life. And I want to, I want to show you some scriptures. And then I want you to just ask yourself, what does the Bible plainly teach? First off, this is one of the foundational truths of all of our theology. Why Jesus came to earth. It's in John chapter 10, verse 10. And it says this, the thief came to steal, kill and destroy. And there is a thief that does that. But let me tell you something. A lot of people put too much emphasis on the thief. Jesus came to this earth. And Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, where he said have life is the word Zoe, eternal life. I get eternal life through faith in the cross, but abundant life is for this life. And abundant simply means overflowing, tremendous, great magnitude, whatever you want to call it. But can you see from scripture that Jesus came to this earth so that I could have an abundant life and you could have one too? All right, I want you to turn with me to a little known scripture in the book of 3 John in the back of your Bible. The book of 3 John, you can, you can go to Revelation and backtrack a little bit. I think you've got the, the book of Revelation. Turn back, you'll find Jude. And then you'll find a little book called 3 John. It just has one chapter. And one of the great truths in 3 John. Let me, let me get you to do something for me. Anytime you see a scripture, receive it. Don't ask Dr. Smellfungus to write a book three inches thick on what Jesus means in a verse that short. We need to get back to the simplicity and the truth of the scriptures. Just believing what he says. 3 John 2 says this, wonderful verse. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health as your soul prospers. Now I want to ask you a question. Uh, I believe it was Oral Roberts who read that one day and hollered for his wife. I think her name was Evelyn. Said, Evelyn, come in here. He said, look at this verse I found in the Bible. It was this verse. He said, did you know this was in there? She said, when did you put that in there, Oral? <laughs> Oral didn't put this verse in here. God put this verse in here. Now I want you to tell me what the Lord's prayer for you is that you might prosper in what? All things be in health as your soul prospers. Can you see that's in inverted order? You want to prosper on the inside first. Inside prosperity is in your heart and in your mind. And that, that is a life of love and joy and peace and freedom and hope and encouragement. In fact, that's inside prosperity. That's soul prosperity. But then where do we move to after we get prospering on the inside, inside prosperity, that you would prosper in all things, your marriage, your job, your relationships, anything. Can you see that it is the clear will of the Father for you to prosper on the inside and the outside? Should be clear. You see, I, 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 th I thought it just whatever was going to happen was going to happen. That's why we need to buy Bibles and read what he's got to say. Now, it's the will of the Father that you be successful and prosper in everything you do. But now I want to show you the promise where he's promised you, you can do it. I want you to turn there to a great passage in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter one, go all the way to the other side of your Bible. You'll find Joshua chapter one. And uh, Joshua was a young man he was the assistant of what his, many historians call the world's greatest leader ever. Not just Christians, but many world historians say that the man Moses is the greatest human leader in world history. All right, Moses, as you know, he got old, he died. He never accomplished his assignment. He did not get his, the children of Israel into the promised land. He died. The Lord buried him up on a mountain. And uh, all of a sudden, this young man named Joshua is supposed to fill this man's shoes. How would you like to follow the world's greatest leader? 
and finish the assignment, he didn't, couldn't. You talk about pressure being on a young man. And all of a sudden, this is where the Lord comes to him and says, Moses got him out here, but you got to get him in. And I want you to look at the promise he makes to Joshua and listen to me. I don't study this Bible for history's sake, although it's historically accurate. The Bible is God speaking to you and me. And I want to know what he's saying to me in this case, because he says, listen, just like Moses and Joshua had an assignment, so do me and you. And here's the secret of this assignment. Joshua chapter one, verse two, the Bible said this, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people to the land, which I am giving to them, the children of Israel, every place the sole of your foot will tread upon. I have given you. Did he just say, I've already given it to you. Okay. He did now verses three and four don't mean much to people. I love these verses and I'm going to show you the message that's in here. He said, all the place I've given you, verse four, from the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. I love that verse. You say, you got to be weird like that verse. Dear ones, I'm not an Israelite. That wasn't for me. What's the Bible saying to me right here? God spoke to them and said, I have a clear designated land that I'm going to give you. Here it is. Every person that follows Jesus has a clear designated predestined land that he's given you. God's got dreams and visions for your life. He wants to bring people into your life. He's planned. Can you see that? The, listen, our heavenly father didn't say, here, go do the best you can. He said, I have got a specific place I'm bringing you into. And if you know those geographical markers, you know those are the boundaries of Israel today. And he said, I'm bringing you into a specific, listen to me, every one of us have a specific territory that he has already given us. You say, well, why do I not have it all yet? Let's read a little further. Verse five, no man should be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Wouldn't it be great if me and you could claim that promise? and bow our necks and stand up and say, as God Almighty was with Moses, he is with me raising these children. As God was with Moses doing my job, he is with me. Wouldn't it be great if we could say that? If you can't say that, throw your Bible away. The book is God talking to me and you. But now watch what he said to him in verse six, be strong and of good courage for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers, but be strong, be courageous, that you may do according to the law, uh, all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded. Don't turn from the right or the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Wait a minute, wait a minute, we got a problem here. I thought he said back in verse three, he gave it to them. Why did they have to be strong and courageous and divide the land? Listen to me. God has already given you your inheritance, but you're going to have to lay hold of it. He gave them that inheritance, but they had to walk it out. They had to actually go take it. Dear ones, when Christ died on the cross, you have no idea what he did for you. But it doesn't fall on you like a ripe cherry while you're eating spinach. You have to take the land. And that's why you have to be of good courage. And then here's the great verse. Verse eight says this, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall, what's the word? Meditate. Meditate in it day and night that you may observe according to all that's written in it, for then, watch these words, you will make your way prosperous. Who controls your future? You're the one that makes your way prosperous. Watch these words. And you will have good success. Now, some people say, I don't, I don't think the Lord's really concerned with us being successful. Can I ask you a personal question? If he didn't want me to be successful, why did he tell me how to do it? Why did he put in this book, if you will do this, you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Let, let me just appeal to you. My heavenly father is a father. I had a father. I'm a father. Do you think I want my children to do well? Do you, want, do you think I want my children to prosper and do well and succeed? What makes you think if I'm an earthly father and I want my children to do well, my heavenly father doesn't want me and you to do well and succeed. Let me tell you that. Let me lift the whole theme of the Bible out in one verse. If God be for us, who can be against us? As a father, he is for you. Can you not see where he says, I have mapped out some things for you, a territory, but you got to take it. And you got to do something that will cause you to make your way prosperous. He gave it to them, but they had to do something to make their way prosperous. All right, let's look at a matching verse. Turn with me to Psalm chapter one. 
first Psalm I ever memorized, Psalm chapter one. Now there's a little, there's a little theme in here. See if you can pick up on it. And by the way, Joshua did what he said and Joshua was successful in everything he did. And he brought them and he gave them the land that Moses could not bring them into. Of course, there's a little picture there. Moses was the law. The law can never bring you into all the promises of God. The Greek name for the Hebrew name Joshua is Jesus. Only Jesus can bring you into all the promises of God. But in the book of Psalm, we find this promise. Psalm 1 says this, blessed is the man. Let's just freeze right there. You know what the word blessed means? It means God is going to do things for you. Anytime you see in the Bible the word blessed, just remember this, the touch of God is on you. You need to memorize Numbers chapter six says this, the Lord bless you, keep you, protect you, smile upon you, be gracious to you, look upon you with favor and give you peace. I've memorized that verse. And a lot of times during the day when I'm walking around and we're gonna talk about this in a minute, I'll meditate that verse and I'll say it and I'll say it like this. God is gonna bless me. God is blessing me. God is protecting me. That's a good thing to say walking around with this bug out there chasing everybody. God is protecting me. God is smiling on me. God is being very gracious to me and good to me. God is showing me great favor and God is giving me peace. There was the Bible, anytime it says blessed is the man, God is doing things for the man who, as the Bible is very clear, blessed is the man who walks not in the way of the wicked, stands in the path of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scorner, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now the word law there doesn't mean 10 commandments. It's one of the hardest words in the Bible to parse correctly. And I'm gonna say it like this. His delight is in the revelation of God's goodness to him. It doesn't mean 10 commandments. That's another word for law. His delight is in the, the revelation of God's kindness and goodness. And in that revelation, he does what? What's the word? meditates. Remember that word right there. He meditates day and night. So the Bible tells me this. If I want to bring the blessing of God on my life, I have to choose not to walk in the path of the sinner. It doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. It means I don't choose to live like that. What do I have to do? I have to delight myself in the revelation of God's goodness. And what's the word? Meditate. I have to meditate in that goodness. How often do I have to do it? What does it say? Day and night. All right, watch this. And then God Almighty is going to paint a picture of the life that will do that. And here's how he describes it. He will be like a tree planted beside the rivers of water who brings forth his fruit in his season. My little apple trees have got apples on them. Guess who made them apples grow? Matthew chapter six says no apple ever grew unless God caused it to happen. When the Bible talks about fruit, blessed is the man. He's like a tree planted. God does things through his life constantly, seasonally. You just always see good things happen through this person's life. What's this? His leaf shall not wither. He's not defeated and crushed and needing counseling because he's been around his wife for two weeks. Wither means falling down. I watch this. See if you don't see this in scripture. Read this with me. And whatever he does shall prosper. How would you like everything you're doing to prosper? Dear ones, if God Almighty didn't want you to prosper, why did he tell you exactly what to do? All right, I, I laid a little theological work here so far. It is the will of God that you have an abundant life, that you prosper inside in your soul and in everything you do. And then we read two passages where the king said, I've given it to you but it's up to you to bring it to pass. I want you, I'm telling you, it is the will of God to prosper. Can you not see a promise of prosperity, success and abundant life here? You can see it clearly, but let me show you something here. And this is the whole deal right here. <clears throat> Years ago, a man wrote a book and it's probably the all time best-selling book on self-help. Businessmen read it. So you might take a wild guess. The Seven Secrets of Highly Successful People. And the man that wrote that book, he took a lot of successful people. He distilled all their habits down and he came up with seven outstanding traits of successful people. He wrote that book and it was a, it was a multi-jillion seller and it's sort of the foundational book of all self-help. But listen to me, God doesn't have seven habits of highly successful people. God says there's one habit. One habit of a highly successful person. You can see it in Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you might make your way prosperous. Psalm chapter one, 
He delights in the law of the Lord and in it he meditates day and night and he will be like a tree and whatever he does will prosper. Can you see clearly in those passages the one key? And Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 19. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. I'll give you the secrets to unlock heaven's window over your life. And what you loose on the earth, I will release from heaven into your life. Let me tell you what the key to a great life is. Meditation. The one habit of highly successful people is they have brought this mind under control and they've learned how to meditate. They learned how to think according to scripture. It just boils down to meditation. Let me define, I know everybody meditates. We just got to do it right. Let me define meditation for you. I pulled some from here and there today. To meditate is to mentally dwell on a subject for a period of time. To wrap your mind around something and leave it there for a while. Here's another one to consider and think deeply on a matter over a period of time. It's not to glance and walk away. It's to think deeply on something for a set period of time, to focus intently on an issue for a period of time. You meditate with your mind. And to meditate is to lock in on something mentally and stay on it for a while and think deeply about it. That's meditation. Sometimes the Hebrew word for meditate can be translated to meditate and mumble. Have you ever seen anybody like you pull up at a stoplight and there's nobody in the car and they're just, their lips are moving and they're very intense. You know what they're doing? They're meditating. They're chewing on something and they're speaking about it. it. It literally means to mutter to yourself over and over, but it's to lock in on something and stay there. Uh, everybody meditates. Have you ever heard of this? You ever heard of worry? You ever heard of worrying? Listen, if you can worry, you can meditate because worry is, is, uh, destructive meditation. Worry is to meditate on the negative, is to meditate on the destructive. Worrying is destructive meditation. Guess why the Bible said in Philippians 4, 6, don't ever worry about anything. To worry is to have a negative situation, to dwell on it deeply, and listen to this, expecting the worst to happen. That's meditation. That is negative meditation or destructive meditation. It means to... Uh, you just dwell on the worst case scenario. You ever had something in your life and you were just thinking about it and you were just dwelling on the worst case scenario? Let me, let me throw a great big what if, what if out here. What if you had a situation in your life with your children, your family, your money or whatever? What if you began to meditate on the best case scenario that could happen? What if you had a financial problem and you began to think, what's the best thing that could happen? And you spent time thinking on that. What if you got kids and you think, what's the best thing that could happen to my kids? And you spend a lot of time thinking about that. What if you spent time thinking about this? How great could this marriage be? What if, what if I, how well could I do in this business? You know what that's called? That's biblical meditation. Yeah. Worry is destructive meditation. Listen, this is not a side issue. This is the one habit of highly successful people. This is the one thing God Almighty identifies in his word for those who will, in everything they do, they will prosper. I'm going to say it again. He's done his part. You will make your way prosperous and you will find good success in everything you do because this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Meditation is just the, it's the secret to it. Now, there one's to... Uh, we get saved. We come to Jesus. Our eternal destiny is secured, but there's a whole lot more than that. Our heavenly father wants to open the windows of heaven over our lives, our relationships, everything we do. God wants to bless the, the Hebrew word is fire. He wants to bless the fire out of his children. A scripture. You can see that. But before I can experience everything Jesus died to give me, there's one thing I have to do. I want you to look with me in Romans chapter 12. At it. it just says the same thing again. To experience everything Jesus died to give me, there's one thing I have to do. I could just go around and survey everybody all over the auditorium here and everywhere, and I could just ask you, what percentage of what God wants to do in your life is being done right now? What percentage of what Jesus died to give you are you experiencing right now? How much of what Jesus died to give you are you experiencing right now? Let me just throw in a verse for free while you're turning. Galatians 3 says this, Jesus became a curse for us. That is, as it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of God might come upon us in Christ Jesus. 
and we might receive the promise of his spirit by faith. How much of what Jesus died to give you are we experiencing right now? All right, there's something I got to do before I can experience it. And you've probably seen this verse before, but let's read it. Some, this is one of the most boogered up verses I've ever, that people, I don't know where they get it from, but let's just read it together. Romans chapter 12, verse two says this. Very simply, do not be conformed to this world. Don't let your culture tell you how to think. Don't let them mash you into their mold. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, changed by the what? The renewing of your, not heart. You got a new heart when you got born again. You you can have a brand new heart and screwed up mind. But by the renewing of your mind, change your mind. Watch these words that you might experience. Prove means experience that you might experience the good, acceptable and best God's God. You know how you experience the best of God for you, his will for you. What does it say right there? Got to change the way you think. You have to get your mind transformed and your mind renewed. I don't have to perform to have God's best. I don't have to be perfect to have God's best. I have to start thinking differently. It's all around the mind. That's why there's such a battle for the mind. And the scripture teaches, if I want to experience his best, I have to change the way I think. All right, I hate to do this. We've had fun up to now, but the fun's over. I got to get ugly here. I got to pull the D word out. I'm fixing to pull the D word out because anytime you get dealing with the mind, you got to pull the D word out. And you know what that dreaded D word is? People in America hate this word. Now, but here it is. Discipline. Mm, the D word, the D word, you got to discipline your mind. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm sorry. I, this was such a great message to write and I've just boogered the whole thing up. The D word, we got to pull the D word out. If I'm going to renew my mind and I'm going to meditate day and night on the revelation of the goodness of God, I got to take hold of my mind. I got to gird up the loins of this mind and I got to get it disciplined and I've got to start thinking differently. I'm going to give you five help. I realized years ago as a young, younger preacher, well, not new as a young preacher, nobody taught me this, but I began to realize it's not about trying. It's not about being gifted. This thing has all got to do with getting your mind right and meditating. And I began to search and seek the scriptures and pray over this and ask other people, what, what, what's, how do you get your mind right so, God, so you can prosper in everything you do? And I'm going to give you five helps I've discovered over time to get this mind straightened out so that you can experience God's best. Uh, let me give you a few more scriptures here. Let me just throw this out here. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Jesus said this, be it unto you according to God's will. He did not say that. Be it unto you according to your faith. And all faith begins in your head. And then faith comes by hearing in your heart. But I want to give you five helps to get that noodle straightened out. Number one, you have to recognize the need. You have to recognize the need. Need drives change. You're not going to do anything until you have a need for it. If, if you're perfectly content being defeated and you, your favorite song is just a few more weary days and I'll fly away, you're not going to do anything. You have to get sick of where you're at. You have to want something better before you're going to make a change. You have to recognize the need. I would read things in the Bible that did not line up with my experience. Believers are not supposed to be afraid. They're not supposed to be nervous. They're not supposed to be worried. They're not supposed to be anxious. They're not supposed to be self-loathing. They're not supposed to think, say things like, we are but grasshoppers, as the children of Israel said. They're not supposed to say things like Mephibosheth said, I'm just a dead dog. That's not how believers should be thinking. And I realize something is wrong here, but you have to need, you have to have a need before you'll do anything. And you need to recognize the need. There's a better way. And need, I think sometimes pain, pain drives change. Once in a while, uh, where our, our friend down in Dunklin, Mickey Evans, a great song was written about him where a fellow called him and said, Mickey, I've lost my wife and my pickup truck. Can you help me? He got on drugs, said, can you help me? He said, son, I'd love to. Said, you broke, but you ain't broken. And you're not hurting bad enough yet. When you get to hurting a little worse, you call me and I'll help you. <laughs> I've experienced that through the years, folks. You know, I got a little bit of a problem. Call me back when you got a big problem. Call me back when you're suffering enough that you'll make the change necessary to have it better. This is good preaching right here. Call me back when you're hurting enough. Dear ones, there's a better way. And we got to recognize the need. Number two, number one, recognize the need. Number two, we got to start thinking about what we think about. 
we've got to become aware of what's in our heads. That's why 1 Peter 1.13 says, gird up the loins of your mind. We've got to start thinking about what we think about. Let me ask you a question. If you were to take a legal pad and today, at the end of this day, go back to the day and just, I want you to draw out what you thought about. What did you meditate on and think on today? I'm not talking about that light's green, I can go ahead. I'm talking about what did you dwell on today? Think about it. And you just draw out what you thought about today. We've got to start watching our thoughts. We've got to guard the door of our minds. It's called the threshold. We've got to start standing at the door of our minds saying, what's going on in here? Uh, I find that most people never think about what they think about. That's why their thinking is messed up. That's why they got hardening of the attitudes. They need a checkup from the neck up. You understand what I'm saying here? We got to work on these heads a little bit. And we got to start paying attention to what we think about according to scripture number three. You need to be the one to start choosing what you think about. Yeah. So I think about what I want to. No, you don't. I'm going to show you in a little bit. You got all kinds of help in your head. You need to be the one to start thinking about choosing what you think about. You need to decide, this is what I'm going to think about right here. I'm not going to let it just run through here. This is what I'll think about. I want you to turn me to that great verse about thought life. It's in the book of Philippians chapter four. This one verse would change your life. Practice one verse. I would dare say this one verse after you're saved. If Joshua chapter one is true and Psalm chapter one is true, this one verse would change people's lives more than any verse in the Bible. This is the most, I think this is the most life-changing verse in the Bible if people will learn how to do it. And I saw this, I saw the whole passage, Philippians 4 verses 4 through 8. And I read that passage a few years ago and I said, that, that's life-changing. And I also said this, I don't know many Christians who do what it says, but I'm going to start. And Philippians 4, 8 is one of the most life-changing verses. Now you've probably got it in New King James Version. I'm going to quote it to you from another version. And I want you to listen to what the Bible says. Finally, my brethren, it lists eight parameters. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, uh, inspiring, honorable, pure, beautiful, encouraging, excellent. You know what praiseworthy, you know what praiseworthy means? Make you want to shout. Praiseworthy. What does it say? Meditate on these things. What if you were to say to your mind, mind, if it don't fall under these eight things, you're not allowed to think about it anymore. Let me ask you a question. Am I making this up? Can you see clearly in God's word? Is it, ask yourself this, stand at the door of your head, stand at the threshold of your mind and every thought that comes in, just stand there and watch. You know, like they're checking people for the virus. As it comes through the door, just ask, is this pure? Is this true? Is this encouraging? Is this beautiful? Is this excellent? Does this inspire me to want to go higher? Does this make me want to shout? I forget who sang that. Is that the kind of thoughts that we're bringing into our minds? They said, Brother Brian, I, I didn't know anybody could think like that. I'm going to say it again. Philippians 4, 8 is the most life-changing verse in the Bible. After you're saved, nothing will change your life more than to practice this verse. And uh, we're going to find a little bit of a struggle, but I'm going to help you with some hows here. I'm going to say back, I'm going to go back and say it again. This is number three. You need to start being the one that chooses what you think about. You need to make a decision. This is what I'm going to think about from early in the morning till late at night. I'm going to go back and quote it again. <clears throat> he meditates in the revelation of the goodness of God when? Day and night. Now, there was to revelate, meditate in the law of God doesn't mean... <clears throat> Abinadab beget Hajinajab. That, that's not, no, no. no. To re meditate in the revelation of God is, God has been good to me. Yeah. Oh, this is so true. I am a child of the living God. That is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It is to set your mind on these eight areas and make sure it ain't coming in this. Now listen, it can fly in there, but it can fly right back out quick as I grab hold of it. I think it was Mr. Spurgeon who made this great statement about thought life when he said this, you cannot stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. You can't stop thoughts from coming in, but you get to decide, do they stay in or not? And doing as we need to make up our minds, this is the parameter I'm gonna think in right here. I'm gonna choose, you said, brother Brian, brother Brian. That sounds to me like positive thinking. <clears throat> yeah, it does, doesn't it? My goodness. My friend, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale captured one 
great aspect of the kingdom and put it in a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. A lot of people don't like it. They say, well, yeah, you know, now positive thinking is not faith. Look up here, look at me. Well, all of you looking. <laughs> Listen to me. Not all positive thinking is faith. You can think positive apart from God's truth, but all faith is positive thinking. That's good. Yeah. It is. Do me a favor. Throw the bathwater out if you have to. You better hang on to the baby. There's life in the baby. Philippians 4.8 is that great passage that we hold on to. And it teaches us that this is what we think about. Let me tell you, listen to this again. You need to be the one to choose your thoughts. Get a hold of them. You need to be, uh, there's a guy down in Louisiana. His name is the Duck Commander. Has anybody ever heard of the Duck Commander? You know where he got that name from? He starts out, he was a redneck from Louisiana that met God. And he made duck calls and he was so good at his duck calls, he entered a contest one day and the judge, you know, ducks just flying around, they fly by. Well, when you're duck hunting, you have a call and you want to sound like a duck. You want to sort of call them towards you so you can bless them. So you, you, that duck call, you call them towards you. Well, he's in a duck call contest and the judge was watching him and he said, I've never seen, he said, that man don't call, that man commands them ducks to come in here. He commanded them ducks to come here. So that's where he got the title duck commander. Let me tell you something. You can let thoughts fly all over the place or you can command your thoughts and say, you come here and you get out of here. We need to become thought, thought commanders. Give me a little hat, thought commanders. That's what we need. You need to start commanding your thoughts and telling them what to do. You need to take, that's what it means, gird up the loins of your mind. Get in charge of your head. So we need to start commanding our thoughts. Number four, are you ready for this? Who let the dogs in? Who, who, who? Who let, not who let the dogs out, who let the dogs in? Why do you let dogs run through your head? It's been years ago, me and a friend of mine, we were on the Honduran-Nicaraguan border. We were teaching a pastor school during the day and having meetings at night. And a family there, very poor, poor town, a family just gave us their house and went down the street to save some other folks. So we're staying in this house. We got there that evening, sat down and I'm sitting there and there's chickens walking around in the house. And I just told Kaka, I said, sort of unusual. And dogs, not even their dogs, just neighborhood dogs just walk through the house and walk in the front. The little house wasn't six, 700 square feet. And just animals roamed in and out. And the chickens roamed in and out. They'd peck around for a while and they'd go out. And I thought, uh, I said, you know what we ought to do? I said, why don't we close the door so the animals can't roam around in here? Why do you let devil dogs roam around inside your head? Close the door. Why do we just let any old garbage come floating into our cranium? We have got to make up our minds that I am not going to let these thoughts roll. Listen, let me say it this way. Close the flaming door to dark thinking. I'm going to tell you why I use the word flaming. I'm not being cute. The word flaming comes from Ephesians chapter six, where the Bible said this in verse 12. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. A lot of your thoughts aren't yours. But with principalities and powers of darkness, listen to me, we better start taking this serious. Principalities and powers of darkness, spiritual beings of wickedness in the atmosphere. That's who we wrestle with. And verse 16 says this, take up the shield of faith with which we shall be able to quench all the fiery flaming darts of the evil one. Jesus was tempted in all points as we are. Luke chapter four, the enemy came to him. I don't believe the devil walked up to him and spoke to him. I believe he was tempted like we are through his thoughts. And the enemy said, if you're the son of God, turn that stone into bread. Jesus said, it is written. And he quenched that thought that came to his mind. It is written. Listen, we need to close the door on this thinking. And if it's garbage, we need to say, not today, Jose, and we need to back it out of our heads. Matter of fact, when the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, listen to what it says. Your adversary walks about like a roaring lion seeking someone whom he may devour. When will we ever start taking this serious? What's the next line say? Resist him. Resist him. Once in a while, my wife's dog, she has a dog, and she'll open the door to come in and he'll run in the house. Well, I don't just sit there and say, well, I guess he's moved in with us. So good to have the dog in the house. Oh no, we get the dog back out of the house. I don't want that dog in my house. I am not going to have thoughts in my mind that are going to hurt me, hurt my family, hurt my church, destroy me. I'm not going to have that junk. And we need to decide who let the dogs in and who's going to close the door and keep them out from now on. You have a right to control your thinking. God gave it to you. You have a free will. And listen to me. 
don't ask him to do this for you. Now the Holy Spirit will help you. But dear ones, you have to meditate day and night that you might make your way successful. You have a free will and you get to control that head. And I want to, I want to say something here. Listen, listen to me carefully. I've had people say, I can't help it. Yes, you can. Let me tell you something. You can control your head. You can keep thoughts out. Let, let me go a little further here. Just because everybody in our culture wants to eat dog food, I don't have to. If everybody else wants to chew on that mess, I'm not being ugly or unkind. I don't have to. You know what I'm going to chew on? Let me tell you what I'm going to chew on. Whatsoever things are true, inspiring, honorable, pure, beautiful, encouraging, exciting, excellent. That's what I'm going to feed on. All right, I'm fixing to go deep. Y'all ready? We're going deep here. Now, if you want to look like everybody else looks, eat what they eat. Just eat. If you want to look like everybody else looks, eat what they eat. But if you want to be really healthy and strong, you have to lean toward the, here we go. Are you ready? You have to lean toward the vegetables, fruit, whole grain, olive oil, lean chicken and fish. I knew I want amen. I started saying nobody will say amen to that. You went, that's not hard to figure out. If you want to be as miserable and defeated as everybody else is, you just feed your mind what they're feeding their mind on. If you want to walk in victory and life and hope and freedom, you have to start eating something different from what everybody else eats. Now listen, a lot of people think that the mind is very complex. I'm sorry. Oh, it's a masterpiece. It's God's creation. It's a masterpiece. But basically this mind operates very simple. You ready for what the Bible says? Here it is. Garbage in, garbage out. Life in, life out. Whatever you put in that head. <laughs> listen, you sit around and you feed on that junk all day. It's just going to filter all down into your spirit. Garbage is going to be there. You Listen, meditate on the good news day and night. You will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Yeah. Got to get this hit. And then number five, one more here. Number five, let me give you a revel. Let me give you a quick revelation. I said that we need to keep the dogs out, keep them out. The Holy Spirit told me something not long ago and I thought, thank you for helping us understand this. See if you would agree with me on what I'm fixing to say. There are some things a believer knows not to think about. Somebody makes you mad. Are you going to go home and sit down and just in your mind mentally go over how you could kill them? How you're going to walk up to them and you're going to slip up to them and you're going to put that pistol right behind their ear and you're going to, I'm sorry, I'm going to be graphic and you're going to blow their brains. Would you sit there and think about that? How many of you know that we know it is not right to meditate on killing somebody? Jesus said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. I'm saying to you, if you chew on it, you're guilty. All right, can I go a little further here? How many of you know that, it's, that a believer really shouldn't sit around and try to figure out a way and mentally walk through how you can steal things from people? I mean, somebody gets a new shotgun or a new whatever, maybe while they're at work, maybe I could, you know, disarm the system and go in the back door. You don't need a key from my house. It's not locked. Just go in the back door, but you will have to face mama's dog. Just go in the back door and I could get in there and get that. You know better than to walk through that mentally, don't you? Can I go a little further here? Right between those two, Jesus said this. You've heard it said thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, whoever commits mental adultery is guilty. How many of you know it's not right to sit around for long periods of time and have mental sex with somebody you're not married to? Can I get a witness? This ain't hard. Here's the revelation. It's just as destructive to sit around and meditate on the discouraging, the dark, the garbage, the fear, the self-loathing. You see, we got all this stuff over here that we'd never, we know better than to think about that. It's just as destructive to think about this garbage that everybody else is feeding on. Uh, are you ready? If it's not true, inspiring, if it's not there, it don't need to be in here. That's what it means to meditate on his truth day and night. It means to get our head up and build it up, right? Here's the last one, number five. It's gonna help you. The dullest pencil is better than the sharpest memory. The dullest pencil is better than the sharpest mind. All right, I wanna show you one of the great verses in the Bible. Let me help you with something. God's got an answer for us in his word. Wanting to have a better life is not going to do it. Everybody wants that. 
Warning's not enough. You have to do something. And there's a verse in the Bible that God gave us to show us how to make transformation in our lives. It's a little known verse. This one of the greatest verses in the Bible. It's so simple and it shows you and I the three things we have to do to begin to bring what we want into reality. I hope you can find it. It's in the book of Habakkuk. See if you can find the book of Habakkuk or Habakkuk if you're really uppity. But we just call it Habakkuk down in the country. I'll help you. It's page 824. The book of Habakkuk. It's in what we call the Minor Prophets. And uh, this is a little hidden verse, but I'm going to tell you, this, this verse has helped me so much. And I'm convinced this verse is God's gift to us to show us how to make lasting, great change in our lives. In the little book of Habakkuk, here it is. He gave us a directive on how to make changes in our lives. Very simple. The Bible said that I've got to probably have young couples getting married do this now. I give them this verse and I show them how to do this. Habakkuk 2.2 says this. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets that he may run with it who reads it. That, that's got, you understand that's in the Bible. This is our heavenly father giving us the pattern and the formula for how to make the change in life we want to make. He said, write the vision, make it plain, put it on tablets that he might run with it who reads it. He told you to do three things. Write it, reads it, run with it. All right, I want to make change in my life and I'm going to show you how this happened. First thing he said we've got to do, we've got to write it. I need to write it out. I found myself going through a situation maybe two years ago, uh, maybe, maybe two years ago. We were going through a spiritual battle here at the church and I was going through it personally in life. I believe there was a Jezebel spirit that was trying to kill our church and tear it up. And of course, anytime darkness comes on you for a period of time, uh, I promise you the enemy of our souls knows who to go after first. Here's what the Bible said, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. If you want to destroy a church, go after the shepherd. If you want to destroy a home, go after the father. And we're going through an intense battle and I, I just wasn't having much fun at the time. I wasn't enjoying it. It so happened I had to go somewhere for a night, stay in a hotel because I had a meeting the next afternoon. And that morning I got up and I was praying and the spirit of God began to speak to me and clarify what we're going through. And he said, you, I got to help you get this stuff in line to come out of this battle. And I want to help you to get some things laid out. And he took me to this verse and he said, now in this morning, I'm going to give you some things and we're going to write it. We're going to write the vision. Do you have a vision for your life? Do you have a vision for how you want to live? You need to write it down. Listen to me. You need to make it plain. Don't be vague and goofy. It needs to be step by step. What does it mean? Put it on tablets, write it on a piece of paper. And I'm going to show you the reason you have to write it on paper in a second. And so that morning in that hotel, I wrote some things down. I've tweaked them a little bit since, but anyways, you need to write down. This is the vision. This is how I want to live. Let me tell you what I call it. It's a mental template. This is how I want to think. This is how I want to listen you, to live the way you want to live. You got to think the way you want to think. And you need, a, you need a specific, that's what it means, plain, a specific mental template. And you need to write it down on paper. I got mine with me here. It stays in that Bible all the time. I've tweaked it a few times. I review this every morning. Now the Bible said, and I'm gonna show you some things on here in a minute. Tell me the three things it said to do. Write it down and it's very plain. Put it on a tablet. What's the next thing it says to do? I'm gonna get, this is a trick question. What's the next thing it says to do? It doesn't say read it reads it. There's an S on there. You know what that means? I'm going to read it over and over and over and over. That's what it means. Who meditates on these things? What? Day and night. I got to go over that. I go over this every morning in my life. Every morning in my life, I review this vision written on this tablet right here. All right. And then what's the third thing you do? If you, you can't run with it, if you don't reads it and you can't reads it, if you don't write it. This is God's plan to help you and I make long-term change in our lives. And you need to draw out a mental template and say, this is how I'm going to think right here. This is, this is going to direct my thoughts right here. And I review it every morning. And of course, I've got it memorized. I review it several times during the day. I'm going to whip out the D word here again. You say, that sounds like a lot of work. Here we are back to that D word again. <laughs> Look up here. It is worth it. Yeah. It is worth it. There's a verse in the Bible that says this, there's much food in the fallow ground of the lazy man. You know what that means? Get up and get to plow and you'll have great stuff. Dear ones, the D word helps us find what we're looking for. And so, as I said, I've tweaked it over the years, but every, I review this every morning. And of course, I think about it a lot during the day. It always starts this. Number one, and I will think this way today. This is how I'll think. I am living under the smile of God's grace. 
And of course, I put different scriptures under there, uh, you know, because listen, you want to build your template based on God's word. Don't, don't just get it off the TV somewhere based on God's word. And I'll, I just, I'm going to live under the smile of God's grace. I see God smiling at me. I think about that a lot. We had a great song years ago. It talked about your thinking. It said this, think, think about his love. Think about his goodness. Think about his grace that brought us through. What do you spend your time thinking about? Do you think about your problems and how you failed and how stupid you are? <laughs> I got news for you, doc. Those things are not true, inspiring, honorable. Think about his love. Think about how much God loves you. You know, I quoted to you number six a little earlier. I just walk around during the day thinking about God is smiling on me. God's been good. He's been gracious to me. God likes me. God has shown me favor. God's given me peace. God is blessing the fire out of me. I think like that. You say, well, what do you mean? Dear ones, as a man thinketh. It all starts in your head. Listen, you shall meditate on this word day and night. Then you will make your way prosperous. But number one, I always think I'm living under the smile. I just think about him smiling. You say, you make mistakes. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. God blesses me in spite of my mistakes. I think I got that on here. Yep, 2 Samuel chapter 9. He blessed the fire of him even though he couldn't walk straight yet. Second one, I love this. I am always looking for the beautiful. I'm not going to meditate on the puke, the garbage, the nonsense. I'm going to think about the beautiful. Let me tell you why. And I think I've got it on there. Yep, right there it is. The kingdom of heaven is like a man searching for beautiful pearls. You say, Brother Brian, there's so much garbage in this earth right now. Boy, we really need to get your thinking straightened out, don't we? Let me tell you something. The earth is full of the glory of the Lord. God is being good in this earth right now. <laughs> you remind me of Grandpa. Years ago, this Grandpa was taking a nap on the couch. You need to remember this. This is a prophetic story here. He was taking a nap on the couch, and one of the grandchildren went in there and rubbed Limburger cheese in his mustache while he was asleep. <laughs> then he disappeared, and they watched. Grandpa got it and went, there stinks in here. Went out on the front porch, <laughs> stood there for a minute, stinks out here too. Went out on the back porch, he said, I swear the whole world stinks, stinks everywhere. <laughs> the problem wasn't the front or the back, the problem was right here. It was when I meet somebody that everything stinks, that's got more to do with your head than stinking. I'm gonna look for the beautiful and I'm gonna spend my life staring at the beautiful. Try this right here. Psalm 27, 4. One thing. You know what one thing means? One thing I have desired and that will I pursue that I might dwell in the presence of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. Why don't you chase the beautiful? One thing. Number three, I love this one. I live my life in hope. I'm going, I've got plow in hope so I've got written on here. Our God is a God of hope. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Is anything too hard for God? In any situation, I don't care what I have or don't care how bad it looks, I can, I can begin to think like this. God can fix this thing. Yeah. Can it, it's called plowing in hope. First Corinthians 9, all right, let me go through the, through the series. Here's what I've got on here. Romans 15, 13, our God is a God of hope. Romans 15, 4, that book is a book of hope to bring hope into people's hearts. And First Corinthians 9, 10 says, if a man plows, let him plow in hope. I'm not gonna try and build this church hopeless. I believe God can do something great here. I'm not going to live my life expecting bad things to happen. I'm going to plow in hope. I'm going to have fruit out of this thing. And that, that's, that's just how you learn how to think. Of course, number four, I'm going to live my life celebrating with thanksgiving. I don't have a choice. I have to. Amen. I want to take you back to Philippians 4 again. Philippians 4, 4 said this. Rejoice in the Lord when everything's hunky-dory and everybody's outside. No, rejoice in the Lord always. I want to make an announcement. It can be done. Could you imagine if you spent every mental moment of your life in your head just celebrating the goodness of God and what he's done for you? Yes. That's what the word always means. And I'm going to rejoice. Let me tell you what I've decided. I, I made this up all by myself. This is my saying right here. I made this up all by myself. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Let me quote it to you. I quoted it wrong. I'm going to quote it correctly. This is the day the Lord has made. I will not because I feel it, as an act of my will, I'm going to rejoice and bless God, I'm going to be glad today. I made up my mind, I'm going to be glad today. I didn't know you could do that. 
we need to get into this book. And we need, we need to let this book get into us. Number five, I love this. I'm always looking forward. I am not going to look in the rear view mirror. The Bible said this. I think I got Philippians 3. Yep, it's on there. Philippians 3.13. Forgetting those things that are behind me, reaching forward to those things that are ahead. I learned one of the greatest truths of my life watching the movie, The Gumball Rally. Before they ever started, the little guy said, what's the first thing you need to know about racing? He reached up and broke the mirror off and threw it out the window. He said, you can't go forward looking backward. I stood up in the theater and said, praise God. Praise God, you can't do it. How many people cannot go forward because they're looking backwards? A prisoner of my past, I am not. I know the things I have planned for you. My past is not going to dictate my future. Forgetting those things. I'm always going to be looking forward. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, 1 Samuel 16, 1 says this. I love, this is God speaking to Samuel. He said this, how long are you going to cry over yesterday's failures? Get up and fill your horn with oil. Let's go. I've got a new plan. How long are you going to cry over yesterday's failures? Fill yourself with the Holy Spirit and let's go. That's one thing I love about our great God. Yesterday is history. Let's go. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting, I got to hurry. I'm getting carried away on this stuff here. Real, real quickly. Number six, I'm always looking for a chance to serve. I am created in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I want to enjoy, I never enjoy my life more than when I'm serving people. And I'm always looking for some place to serve somehow. Let me tell you what we got to get delivered from in our thinking. Get this out of your head. What about me? What about me? What about me? What about, get that out of your head. Now, you need to take care of yourself, obviously. Take a bath once in a while. It's all good. But you need to live your life walking around. What can I do for them? What can I do? A man wrapped up in himself makes a pretty small package. God, that's good. That's good right there. Whether I can hold the door for somebody, love somebody, can I pray for you, cheer them? Just think about serving people instead of thinking about nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Listen, take that song off your thing live to serve people. Don't hee-haw me. Y'all know what hee-haw is? Gloom, despair, and agony. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. (laughs) Get off of it. Get up every morning and say, I live to serve people. Watch what happens to you. I mean, it's the joy of it. All right, number seven. I got this out of a, this is my command from 1 Corinthians 14. I want to edify. If you desire any spiritual gift, especially that you might prophesy and edify people, I'm always looking for something to say to somebody that'll help. All right, let me get them real quick. Enjoy. My heavenly father right here. Here it is. You can look this up. First Timothy 6, 17. He has commanded me to enjoy everything he's given me. I'm going to enjoy breakfast. I'm going to enjoy my sweetheart. I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to enjoy my church. I'm going to enjoy my truck. I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to enjoy my friends. I've just made it. Listen, Abraham Lincoln was a prophet in numerous ways. He said this. Most people are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. That's good. That's good right there, isn't it? I've made up my mind. I am not going to be crammed into this world's mold. I'm going to enjoy what God gave. Listen, God's been good to me. You know how you return the favor? Enjoy what he gave you with a grateful heart. Everything and bless it. And then let me throw in one more. I choose simplicity. I'm not going to waste my time in my head trying to figure things out. Jesus loves me. This I know. I'm alive. I don't worry about the future. I've got this is the day. Tomorrow's not the day. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to enjoy it. Like King David had said, I am not going to concern myself with matters that are too deep for me. I'm going to live a simple life. I'm going to follow Ricky Skaggs on this one. The simple life is the life for me, a steak and a knife and a glass of tea and the Lord up above who knows I'm trying to live a simple life in a coronavirus time. Difficult times, what it is. Just keep it simple, man. I've been accused of being overly simplistic. Leave me alone. I'm having a blast. You can scrunch your face up and try to figure the world out if you want to. I'm just going to go enjoy what God gave me. You know what that is? That right there is my mental template. I, I, wrote, it, I wrote the vision. This is how I want to think. I read it every day. <laughs> and guess what you have to do after you read it? You have to practice it. You have to run with it. You got to practice it. And you begin to practice. That's why I keep it right there. It's the only thing that stays in my Bible. And I practice that. I read it every day and I go through it. And let me tell you what happens. To change things, you can't, you can't do it in a day. You can't do it in two days. Different counselors tell us it takes about 30 days. It takes about 30 days to turn a habit around. Sow a thought, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a destiny. Where does it all go back to? Sow a thought. And it takes about 30 days, maybe longer, to turn your thinking around. Write out your template, write the vision, make it plain, put it on paper, 
reads it regular and then run with it and enjoy it. All right, let me wrap up. I don't know what that means. Let me wrap up real quick. What does it mean? I use the word D. I'm going to use the word, the D word again, discipline. The Bible uses that word, but what does the Bible call it? It calls setting your mind. When the Bible says set your mind, that's the same thing as discipline your mind. Colossians chapter three, verses one and two says, you've been raised with Christ. Verse two says this, set your mind on things above not on things on the earth. Well, I don't mean walk around thinking about heaven and angels and harps. <laughs> it means think on whatsoever thing, the things above whatsoever. I'm going to say it again. True, pure, beautiful, encouraging, inspiring. Set your mind, tell your mind, get up there. Get up on those things above. Get to thinking about those things and not on things on the earth. The hatred, the discouraging, the problems, the lack, the lack, the failure. Get your mind off this garbage and set it on things above. You say, man, you'd be some kind of weirdo. You'd be a happy weirdo. You'd be a blessing. You'd be the light of the world is what you'd be. Matter of fact, I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 16. Well, listen to this. Get thee behind me, Satan. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God. You're setting your mind on the things of man. Tell me what the enemy is going to do in your life. He's going to drag your mind down to the garbage in humanity what the Bible say? You're not setting your mind, disciplining your mind to think on the things above, the things that are beautiful and true. The scripture has a lot to say about setting our minds. Matter of fact, let me throw this one in for free. Romans chapter eight says this, the mind set on the flesh is death. The mind set on the spirit is life and peace. The mind disciplined toward the truth of the spirit of God is life and peace. So, uh, let me encourage you to do this. First thing, I'm going to tell you why we need to do this because this, there's a battle over this. When I wake up in the morning, first thing, I refuse to throw them covers back till I tell my mind how to think. And I tell my mind several things. Number one, this is the day the Lord has made. Don't you get out of this bed till you make up your mind. You're going to rejoice and be glad in it. I don't care. Some days I feel good. Some days I don't feel great. I don't care. Talk to yourself. You know what talking to yourself is called? Meditation. Talk to yourself. And I tell myself every morning, don't you get out of this bed till you make up your mind. This is what we're going to do. And I usually take one truth from God that I meditate on for a few weeks at a time. Right now I'm on one that's called, it's in Philippians 4.13. Here's what I think about. I did it this morning. Here it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so this morning I woke up first thing and I don't like to lay around long. I'm going to get out of bed and get going because I got a lot to do today. Don't you get out of this bed till you make up your mind, gonna rejoice. And let me tell you something about today, Biggers. Talk to yourself, folks. You talk to yourself anyway. Talk to yourself right. Today, I will do everything I need to do because Christ will strengthen me. From first thing in the morning. And then you, that's why you need a quiet time because the way you start your day will chart your day. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. That's pretty good. The day you start your day will chart your day. And you need to start out thinking, a certain way. And I would encourage you to pray a prayer to the helper. The mindset on the spirit, he's the helper. Say, help me think right today. Help me. Let me throw something out here. Let me tell you why it's such a struggle because there's a battle for the mind going on. There's a battle for the mind and you fight this battle on three fronts according to the Bible. Listen to me carefully. See if you don't see this in scripture. And there's three places you fight this on. Number one, your environment feeds your mind darkness. The environment you're in feeds your mind darkness. Number two, you have a base lower nature called the flesh that will feed your mind dark thoughts. Galatians 5 said this is where thoughts of hatred and division and variance come from. And number three, there is an unholy evil being who can feed thoughts into your mind. Acts chapter 5 verse 30, Ananias, he was a Christian. He was a believer. Why did you let Satan put it in your mind to lie to the Holy Spirit. And this garbage, they're, they're, that's why it's such, you say, well, Brother Brian, it's really hard to get you thinking right. Yeah, there's a battle, isn't there? And you fight it on three fronts. The society you live in feeds you garbage. Your lower nature feeds your mind garbage and an unholy enemy feeds it from the outside in. And that's why the Bible said in James chapter three, this garbage in your head, wisdom in your mind does not come from heaven. It is worldly, fleshly, demonic. Those are the three places that garbage gets in our heads from. And that's why we want to fight that battle on those fronts. It is an intense battle. That's why 
I'm going to say something here. We need to sort of become mental warriors. I think there's things in the Bible like fight the good fight of faith, take up the shield of faith. We need to become mental warriors. Listen to me carefully. Even the greatest, strongest saints can be overcome mentally at tough times. You're not going to meet anybody more godly or tough than Elijah. But something got on his head and he said, I can't take this no more. I'm the only one. Take my life. And he was defeated and crushed. By the way, that was a Jezebel spirit that got into his head. And there is a battle for the mind going on. Joyce Meyer wrote one of the greatest books ever, Battlefield of the Mind. And it lays out so carefully the battle that we go through in our heads. And uh, we need to bless. I'm going to say it again. Here we go. You ready? Oh, this, I'm not going to finish on an ugly note. I got to do better than this. A lazy mind is a defeated life. A lazy mind is a defeated life. And most people that I know that live defeated, discouraged, egg-sucking lives, their minds wander all over the place with no discipline. An undisciplined mind is a defeated life. Got to get this head up here. All right, let me quit on a good note here. Let me throw you a good note out here. Listen to this. When you learn this stuff and you begin to practice it, the beauty and the joy of a renewed mind, you'll go, I wish I'd known this years ago. I wish I'd known this years ago. I didn't have to be beat up like that mentally. I didn't have to go through that crap. Those little devils didn't have to beat my brains out like that. Condemnation? No, 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 no. Who let the dog in? That ain't happening right there. Can I I show you one more verse? Promise. One more and I'm done. One more. I know you're hungry. One more. (laughs) Turn with me to Proverbs chapter four. I want to refute what's being taught in our land right now. I love my preacher buddies, but on occasion I have to fuss at them. And you know, what I'm hearing, you know what I'm hearing them say right now? It's going to be bad. It's going to be terrible. We're going to get beat up. It's going to be hard, but God will get us through all this stuff. Where'd you get that mess from? Just a few more eggs sucking weary worm-eating years and I'll fly away. Why don't you go ahead and do it now? <laughs> that, let me tell you what the Bible says. You know what his problem? His problem is not where he lives. His problem is the way he thinks. I'm going to show you one of the greatest promises in the Bible. Now you listen to this. This is God's word. Proverbs chapter four. This is what it describes our lives like. If we'll do this, Proverbs chapter four, verse 18 says this, the path of the just is like the shining sun and shines what? Ever brighter until the perfect day. You tell me what the Bible says. Your life should be getting brighter and brighter and brighter. Then was the Bible doesn't say that we go from glory to crap. <laughs> That's 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm sorry. On occasion, you just wonder where these people get this stuff from. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this. The spirit of God as we behold Jesus is changing us and we're going from glory to glory. Not glory to crap. Where do we get this stuff that life's supposed to get worse and worse, but Jesus will rescue my pitiful soul someday. No, no. The path of the just is like the shining sun. It should get ever brighter. Somebody should write a song like this. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. You can sing it in Spanish. Every day with the Jesus. You can listen. Every, the Bible says every day should be brighter and brighter until the perfect day when we see him face to face. Did you have any idea our heads are being messed with so bad? It is from glory to glory. But let me tell you why. One reason, and this is so simple. God's made up his mind. He wants to bless you. He has ordained you to prosper in everything you do. But my son, you shall meditate in this day and night that you might make your way successful and you might prosper in everything you do. I don't want to be a wilted, sad shaggy, saggy shrub waiting on Jesus to rescue me. I want to be like a tree planted by the river. Guess who the river is? Planted by the river, bringing forth fruit in its season, whose leaf is not wilting and whatever he does shall prosper. Amen. Amen. Get your piece of paper out. Get your personal template writ and then reads it. Don't just read it, reads it and run with it so that from the inside out, we can meditate our way from glory to glory. Amen. I love you. Dear Jesus, we give you all the praise and glory and honor. I just, 
What's it like in heaven, Lord Jesus? Your word is so clear in the book of Revelation. We get a revelation in heaven and we see that there's rejoicing around the throne. They're declaring worthy is the lamb. You are seated on the throne ruling. The Holy Spirit is interceding. Lord Jesus, you're praying. Heaven is celebrating the glory of God right now. I love those words that say, come up here. Well, Father... Many of my friends have got the devil in hell saying to them, come down here. Come down into this fear and loneliness and emptiness and misery and filth and pain and bitterness. Come down here. I want them to hear the voice of God say, no, come up here. Come up here into this place of worship and celebration and faith and victory and hope and love and joy. I want to praise you and thank you that I don't have to wait. You've given me your word, the truth that sets me free. And I praise you and thank you as we begin to discipline our minds and set them on things above. We will be like the shining sun who shines ever brighter until the perfect day. I pray you take this word, seal it in the hearts of my brothers and sisters. Let it bear much fruit for many years to come. In his precious name we pray, amen.